Welcome back to our High Five, where we are celebrating five awesome things that God is doing in the life of our church. Let's go. Coming in at number five, we are celebrating the two baptisms that our Franklin Outpost has experienced recently. Greg and Zeb, today this kingdom-sized high five goes out to each of you. We're so excited to see how God is gonna continue to move in your lives. Coming in at number four, this past Friday, our Manchester Outpost hosted a gathering for those in Open Roof. Open Roof is a group dedicated to those families and individuals with disabilities. On the first Friday of each month, Open Roof provides a place for caregivers and parents to come and fellowship together. So if you or someone that you know would benefit from being a part of this group, well then head on over to church.one slash groups and high five to more ways to connect like this. Here at number three is the fall semester of Rooted. It's well underway and groups have begun growing in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Way to go, guys. This high five goes out to everybody in Rooted right now, growing strong roots in God's love. In at number two, this past week, our wise and wonderful group met in Manchester. They enjoyed a meal, they heard a word from Bo, and then they shared in a lesson on how to shop in healthier ways. You see, this group aims to provide people 55 and older with a place to build community, grow in faith, and be an encouragement to one another. So high five to all of those in Wise and Wonderful. And if you are interested in joining this group in its monthly gatherings, then go to church.one slash groups. And we hope to see you at the next one. And finally, up at number one, we are celebrating the many baptisms that took place at our Manchester Outpost recently. High five to Crystal, Joel, Nia, Jalen, Kylie, and Joshua. We are excited for how God will continue to work in and through your lives. Thank you for joining us for this high five. We look forward to celebrating with you in the next one. This week I've been, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the feelings behind rejection. We go through different moments of rejection or different chapters of rejection and we look back on them and they have different weight kind of depending on what was happening in our lives at that time. I think back on a story where I experienced rejection that in the moment it was the end of the world, but then I now have the hindsight and a little bit of more life experience and everything. I look back on it now, I'm like, okay, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't that bad. Uh, I may have been overreacting on that one a little bit. You see, her name was Megan Wetzel. And uh, I had a crush on Megan in my freshman year of high school. Sophomore, it gets so much better. Sophomore year of high school. Oh yeah, there it is. Okay, then we're getting to that one in a second. Sophomore year of high school. I took a break junior year, tried to play it hard to get. It did not work. Then again, senior year. And I would ask Megan to every single dance that was going on. I would ask her out multiple times. I know this might sound like stalking, but there's a fine line there, everybody. And I would always ask her and she would always say no. Every single time, always say no, but I was persistent. So finally senior year was coming around, homecoming dance, and I'm like, okay, we have a few classes together, all right, and, and then she, she's on the tennis team, and my buddy, my friend of mine, was the equipment manager of the tennis team, so I'd hang out with him to try to then spend time with her as well. So things are coming, you know, things are coming together. Everything's falling in line, here we go. Homecoming, senior year, I say, Megan, will you go to homecoming dance with me? Three years, ready, this has been making. 
Oh, a wave of jubilation and joy and glee washed over. Finally, it happened. Then that night, I am on my way to get my senior class picture taken, the photo that you see right there. And while I'm on my way to the studio, my phone rings, and who is it but my date to the homecoming dance, Megan. Two hours after she had said yes, she calls me. I pick up. I say, hi, Megan. What's going on? How can I help you? And she goes, yeah, remember I said yes? I said, yes, I do. She goes, never mind. Then she said no. She rescinded the acceptance. I know. I'm still going through. So I still had to go get the photos taken, which is kind of funny in the story. And that picture right there is the same night. Those are dead eyes. <laughs> dead eyes that have faced rejection just 30 minutes prior there. So I look back at that story now, and I can laugh about it. It's a funny thing. Obviously, things worked out. It's not that big deal. I can look back and, you know, kind of laugh about it now. But I'm sure that there are moments of rejection in our lives that we're not quite over, that are still healing. Maybe we feel like the wounds of rejection may never heal. And what comes with rejection is often this, this maybe hopelessness and despair, but also some shame in it as well. That we feel like, man, the world just isn't a place for me. People don't get me. People don't understand me. There's shame that's that's rooted in that, and then we shrink back into ourselves more and more. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus is that Jesus experienced rejection as well. He understands that. He knows what it's like to feel rejected because all throughout his ministry, Jesus would come to people and he would say something about who he is. He would introduce himself to people saying, I am. He would say, hey, I am the light of the world. He healed a blind man, and he said, I am the light of the world. And the response to that was, no, nah, I don't think so. See, I think you healed that blind man with uh, some, some agreement you have with the devil. I don't buy it. So he would go on. He would introduce himself again. He'd say, I am the bread of life. And they'd say, hey, keep your gluten to yourself. How about you just give us some regular bread, please, Jesus? None of this bread of life. What does that even mean? He would say things like, I am the resurrection and the life. That when his good friend would die and he would go to raise that friend from the dead, people would greet him and say, hey, no, 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 you're too late. You missed it. You can't do this. And so with this series we've been looking at, it's Jesus saying, I am. It's Jesus saying, I am deity, Yahweh, God, the creator of all things, the Lord Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's saying, I am, and the Jewish people would have known this term, it would have perked up their interest a little bit and saying, yo, this guy is calling himself God. They remember a story way back in Exodus where God reveals himself to a man who is no stranger to rejection, and that is the man of Moses. See, Moses was raised by Egyptians, but then eventually rejected by those people. So he goes to try to find solace in the, the people that he was born into, the Hebrew nation, and they reject him as well. So now he's in the wilderness, feeling like an outcast, feeling shame, and here comes God to say, hey, I am, and with that I am, there's some purpose. There's an identity piece. There's a statement of saying, you belong here. You are accepted by me. Not only are you accepted, but I'm giving you a mission as well. It's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. It's been our memory verse throughout this series. And can we say it together this afternoon, Franklin, and listen to this identity piece, this charge that Moses is getting 
from Yahweh. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Do you hear that, 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 that acceptance there? The identity piece that Moses is now existing in. Because, hey, he's getting sent out with a purpose. God is, get, God is accepting him and sending him out with this person, this, with this purpose and this mission. And it's a purpose and a mission that Moses is going to face rejection. But the thing is, he's knowing who he is. And when God sends us out, we know who we are as well. And when we know who we are, we can face rejection. We're in John chapter 18 today, and the story of Jesus within the gospel of John has been leading up to this moment. All these I am statements have been leading up to this moment where Jesus will be arrested, he will be persecuted, he will be put to death as he's experiencing the betrayal that we'll be reading about. So in verse 1 of 18, it says this, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he, he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. The rejection that Jesus is experiencing keeps piling on in this instance, in this account that we have here. You see, right before this, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was on the horizon. His death on the cross was right there. He knew it was going to happen. And so he went out with his disciples to pray. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, listen, I'm going to leave you right here. I'm going to go and pray, but can you please pray with me? He knows the pain that he's about to experience. He knows what he's about to go through. He's asking for prayer for his that his disciples to offer it as well. And they say, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna stay up. I know we just had a big meal and everything and some people might fall asleep, but not us, Jesus. We're gonna stay up, we're gonna pray with you. He goes and prays, comes back, they're asleep. Wakes him up, tries again. Hey, can you stay awake? He goes, prays, come back, they're asleep. Three times this happens. There's some rejection there. And then let's talk about the group of people that came to arrest him. They came carrying these torches and lanterns and weapons, which is a little bit like they thought they were going to have to go and seek out Jesus, that he'd be hiding somewhere in the garden. And then when they found him, they were expecting Jesus to put up a fight. This guy that's been preaching nothing but love. Hey, love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God. Love others as I have loved you. They're thinking that they're going to have to put up a fight. And then when they talk to him, when they say who they've come to arrest, they throw another insult, Jesus of Nazareth. Why was that an insult? Because Nazareth was known as this sort of run-down, old farming town. And nothing good came out of it. 
It had a reputation for people being uneducated, people being useless. When the disciple Nathaniel was called to follow Jesus, he responded with this. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? They could have called him Jesus, the guy that turns water into wine. Jesus, the guy that raises people from the dead. Jesus, the guy that had fed 5,000. But instead they say, no, Jesus from Nazareth, the guy who's nothing. Start to pile up that rejection, but then right there, as he's dealing with all this, who does he see? His friend Judas, that had brought these people there to bring him in. And I know that Judas has a bad rap. We like to rag on Judas, and I think we like to rag on Judas because as people, we like to know who's good and who's bad. We want to cheer for the good people. We want to cheer against the bad people, but I don't think it's as easy as good and bad because you see Judas had some funky stuff going on in his heart. Not sure what was happening, but Judas, he was in charge of the finances for Jesus' ministry. He had the credit card for Jesus' ministry. So every time something came in to support what Jesus was doing in his travels, preaching the good news, showing people what it meant to live the way that God intended, Judas would just take some of that money and pocket it for himself. Not sure what was going on there, but you could say he was acting selfishly. And I think when we are acting selfishly, it's because we're afraid of rejection. See, when we're afraid of rejection because we're afraid of, of relying on people, we're afraid of being vulnerable to people because we know it might go south or maybe it's gone south before and we're afraid and we don't want to experience that again. So instead, we shrink into ourselves and we reject others before they have the opportunity to reject us. And it causes us to lash out and causes us to act selfishly. It causes us to kind of store up for a rainy day. Then what's dangerous and what my heart aches is when people adopt that mindset when it comes to Jesus. Thinking, there's no way that Jesus can love me. Do you know what I've done? Do you, do you know what's been done to me? Do you, there's no way that this guy, Jesus, could love somebody like me. So before he can reject me, I'm gonna reject him. So the people that we come across, and maybe yourself as well, when you hear the phrasing or Maybe think the phrasing yourself of, yeah, no, Jesus just isn't for me. I'm cool, that it's cool it works for you, but I'm not into this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing, this whole God thing, this whole faith thing, whatever it is. I think people are responding because they got something funky going on in their hearts. But here's the truth about Jesus is that he, he was rejected so that we could be accepted. He came to accept, not reject. That's what he came here to do. He knew who he was, so he sought out his mission. And it's the same thing for us when we look at the life of Jesus. When you know who you are, you can finish your mission. I think often when faced with rejection, we have the tendency to react. 
We react in the midst of rejection with anger, with spite, with hate, but that isn't the mission. The mission that we have been charged with is to love others the way that Jesus loves us. So then if we respond then with rejection, when we're faced with rejection, when we respond to rejection, now we're responding with love and with acceptance and with hope and with peace. So how do we go about doing that? I think a great way is to start off by praying for one. Asking God, please give me one person to share your love with. Because what are we doing now? We are leading with love. We are not ready. We are not going into a situation in battle mode, waiting to react to something. Instead, now we are responding with the mission that God has given us. I think when we keep records of wrongs for people, are you, anyone like that? You, you have some names in your heart that you got a Rolodex of wrongdoings. Yeah, I think everybody does. We're holding on to stuff. We're ready to run into that person to say like, hey, you remember when you did this, 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 this? Yeah, I do. I'm over the Megan thing, I swear. <laughs> but now when we do that, I think we're doing the same thing that the people that came to arrest Jesus were doing. We come in ready for a battle instead of coming in ready to respond and lead with love the way that Jesus did. So in verse six, it says, when Jesus asked, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let those, these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, look out, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? We notice some things about Jesus. We notice that he is in control. Jesus is in control in this instance because there were other times where people came with the same intention. They came to arrest Jesus. But then in the middle of all of it, he would just kind of get away. Jesus, master disguise, like <laughs> escape artist, whatever it is. He would just kind of walk away in the midst of confusion. So here's another moment where these people that have come to arrest him have fallen down and he doesn't walk away. He has the opportunity, but he stays right there because he knows that this is the moment. This was his mission. This is why he came. This is what he came to do. We see that Jesus is about others. He says, hey, if you've come to arrest me, then let these people go. Which we think, yeah, it's Jesus. Of course he's gonna do that. So let's talk about what maybe some most people might do, what other people might do in this situation, where they are faced with this group with weapons and lanterns ready for a fight, and they say, hey, we've come to arrest you, what might be most people's response? Me? Just me? Do you, these guys were next to me the whole time. Do you want to arrest them too? Watch out for that guy, Peter. He's got a sword. Like, throw him under the bus, but that's not what Jesus does. He says, leave them, let them go. You've come here for me, just take me. And I think he does that because 
Jesus is out for peace. And I, we got to remember that. With our mission to, to serve and to love people the way that Jesus loved us, remember it's all about peace. That's what Jesus came to do because too often we use God and we use religion to preach hate. We stand on a platform that we say is built by God, built by religion, built by the church, and all we do is try to cast people out. All we do is reject rather than accept, rather than bringing about peace. That's what Jesus was all about. That was what his mission was, because he knew it. He said, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Jesus was choosing rejection for us to be accepted and then bring about peace. We're accepted by God. You are accepted by God. You are accepted by Jesus. That is the peace that we all get to live in. And that's something that we can know. That's something that our identity can be hinged upon. When you know who you are, you can follow Jesus. Is that hard for, for some of us to accept? that you're accepted by Jesus. To let that sink in, to let that be your guiding force, your identity. I promise you it's true. I think we focus so much on the here and now, but really it all comes down to eternity. We might think that the here and now, everything that we've done in these moments means that we're not qualified to be accepted. But luckily for us, Jesus has such an amazing scope of eternity. He knows, no, no, I've covered all of that. I've covered that moment right here that you're stuck on. I've covered every moment that's going to follow. I've covered all of eternity with my peace and my love. We finish out this story with, with one that we know from the story of Peter. In verse 12, it continues, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him to Ananias, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest of the year for that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. We love this story because we love to rag on Peter. This is the moment where, oh, Peter messed up. Peter had the opportunity to stand up and be like, yeah, I'm with him. You better believe it. But he didn't. He shrunk back. And I think we always love to remind about that moment, live in it. But take a moment and realize that Peter showed up. 
like Jesus, his main guy, Jesus, the guy that he's been following throughout his ministry, has just been arrested. There was a mob of people that brought Jesus in, and instead of just taking his ball and going home, Peter went with them. There's something to be said there, but there's still that moment. The difference is, when faced with a mob, Jesus answered, I am. And when faced with a servant girl holding a door, Peter said, I am not. When we talk about moments, we often think that that one moment is going to define us for all of eternity. For that one moment in Peter's life where he says, no, I am not, we think, man, Jesus, go get him. Jesus, go take care of him. He, he, he let you down. Jesus, he denied you. That silly Peter, that no backbone Peter, he let Jesus down. It's a moment where we could reject him, where we think that Jesus might reject him. And if we think that way, we then cast that onto ourselves, thinking, man, at just one moment, Jesus is going to reject me too? That's not the case. Jesus came to accept, not reject. We know who we are and we can follow Jesus, even in the midst of our slip-ups and those one moments where we think define us for all of time. That's not the case. We can still follow Jesus with eternity in mind because let's talk about the life of Peter after this moment. Peter was the rock on which the church was built. Jesus entrusted Peter to feed his sheep, meaning lead his people. Peter was the one that on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down onto the apostles, onto Jesus' followers, Peter was the one that spoke to the crowd, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. And on that day, it said 3,000 people were added to their numbers. Peter healed a lame beggar. He went toe-to-toe against the religious leaders of that time that were trying to kill him. Peter saw visions. He escaped prison. All of this was made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit that was accepting him, not rejecting him. Saying that our life is defined by one moment, that we're rejected because of one moment, just isn't true. Because the grace of God that he came to instill on the world around us is acceptance an open invitation of acceptance for all eternity. Every time we come together, we take a moment and we celebrate the gift of communion. And this is an opportunity to say yes to Jesus, saying, yes, I am accepted by him. Saying, I know who I am in Jesus so I can follow his mission. I know who I am in Jesus so I can face rejection. I know that I am saved and in the family of God. So I can face rejection. Not be defined by those one moments, but instead stay on mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says on the night that he was betrayed, that same night that we were talking about, knowing what was going to happen, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks with his friends. He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he took the cup 
He said, this is my promise for you, a promise of acceptance shown in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me to the king. I'm sure there's some of us here this afternoon that have faced rejection that's still healing or maybe feel like they're in the midst of rejection right now. And I promise you that there's acceptance for you. And that's what we are here to do as a family of God, as a body of Christ, to encourage and to accept, to declare that Jesus is for you and not against you. And that promise is there for all of eternity. If you'd like prayer, or it's just anyone to talk to, I'll be here at the, at the front as we close out and worship together. I'd love to pray with you. And if today you're saying yes to Jesus, yes to the acceptance that he has for you, you want to declare him as your Lord and Savior, today can be the day. Love to celebrate the gift of baptism, signifying how we will put to death with Jesus our sins in the grave with him. And when we come out of the water in acceptance, we are made new out of his love and his grace. Would you stand as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your endless acceptance for us. Lord, that it isn't just one moment where we mess up that defines us, but instead your acceptance transcends all of eternity. And because of it, we are made new. Lord, we thank you that we know who you are, defined by your love and your grace. Allow us to extend that to others in our lives. And Lord, truly transform our communities, our world that you've placed us in as we pray for one together. Thank you, Lord, for this afternoon, this time together, for your acceptance, your love, that you truly are the I am. In your name we pray, amen. As you draw our hearts and minds and worship into the next song, in John 14, Jesus is talking about prayer. He says, I am in the Father and the Father's in me. And when you pray, whatever you're praying for, whatever you're seeking for, you ask it in the name of Jesus. Talk about his name. Your name is power. 
Share that love with someone in your life. God bless you guys and have a great week.